welcome back to another Perpetual Outsider podcast. This one is for part three of Horror Fang Rock. Uh, welcome back if, you, uh, if you've been listening before. Um, if you're new, hello, hi, thanks for uh, listening in. I'm John Bensalia. Um, I'm an old git who has been a Doctor Who fan for uh, uh, quite a few years now. Um, and it, as well as Doctor Who, I also talk about other things like game shows and comedies and Maybe the old genre, I don't know, but uh, anything that you know from like classic 60s, 70s, 80s period. So, without further ado, um, without less yakking from me, um, I've got my a cup of coffee ready. Um, it's the only thing to keep my voice going, even though it's actually quite quite a hot day. Um, so without further ado, let's go to part three in five, four, three, two, one. Go! Yes, actually on cue for once. Part three. So, the story so far, the Doctor and Leader are, are on a lighthouse um, where a shipwrecked crew of Porsches has landed. Um, not sure whether by luck or by judgment. Um, one of the lighthouse keepers has been bumped off and reduced to a bloody headless stump uh, with skeleton hands by the look of it. Um, and another's just about to go into the coal hole and um, sound like he's got a very bad, dodgy tummy. So here we go with the reprise from uh, from part two. And of course, an alien is, uh, is somewhere on the island outside the lighthouse. Yeah, kind of, a, kind of a major plot point, that, John. Yeah, he's making the sign of a cross there again. In memory of his friend Ben. I'm surprised he actually hasn't come across um, Ben's bloody stump because um, the Doctor and Leela just dumped it behind uh, the boiler, didn't they? <laughs> There's some very odd screens in Doctor Who. Uh, I'm, I'm, re I'm really going to look forward to the Robots of Death button with Chubb's screen. I mean, that's... Uh, Somebody should really make a top 10 best screams of all. I mean, you've, you've, you're spoiled for choice in like the gothic era of um, the mid-70s of Doctor Who. I mean, you've got countless screams in Genesis of the Daleks, Angus in um, Terror of Zygons, loads in Planet of the, loads in Pyramids of Mars, actually. Ibrahim Namines and Warlocks are well up there, I would imagine. Loads in the Seeds of Doom. Dunbar's is very good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on to mention. Well, Adelaide seems to think it's a ghastly screen, but uh, yeah, you can't beat a good old death screen, Doctor Who. You know, it just adds to that that terror, doesn't it? You know that somebody is being horribly killed. I'm I'm just a bloodthirsty old codger, aren't I? <laughs> Ruffian. Yeah, Terence Sticks. He actually um he was actually my inspiration to actually go into writing. Um, I remember you know just. Borrowing the you know the library books when I was seven years old, and I I just really enjoy reading them, and he just had that kind of unique flair for storytelling, and I I just really wanted to be like him, and I always enjoyed creative writing when I was at primary school, um, just writing stories, and then of course you know you go into university, and all that kind of enjoyment for writing it just goes out the window, and it completely drains your confidence as well because it's more kind of like analysing over-analyzing and it really takes the joy out of reading really and I, I just kind of lost my way with that 
really, to be honest. And it's really only until recently that I've actually kind of had the guts to actually start writing stories again. I'm actually trying to write a book right now. But yeah, I mean, Terence, uh, Terence Dix was my inspiration for, for writing. And I suspect he's a lot of other people's inspirations as well, because he was just such a damn good writer. So this, of course, um, this is Reuben the Rutan. I mean, he's, he's not really Reuben. Um, the Rutan has taken on Reuben's form. But it's kind of like, I mean, Paddy Russell did this once before with um, with Marcus Scarman in Pyramids of Mars. Um, but she's kind of got to do a different thing this time. Because, you know, if you, if you do the same thing twice, it becomes a bit boring. So, um, the, uh, you know, kind of Reuben, the zomb zombie Reuben is kind of like... Uh, He's more kind. Of, he, he's more kind of mute, really. He he doesn't really speak. He only gives this kind of terrifying grin, which I think he will do to great effect later in the episode. So it's a completely different style of kind of like you know uh, portraying the zombie, um, whereas Bernard Archer was kind of like you know sort of more kind of cadaverous and you know he spoke and he was kind of like the uh, um, the henchman of Sutek, but kind of like um, Ruben could be a baddie in his own right. You know he doesn't answer very much. He doesn't answer at all, actually, which is great. Adelaide, of course, starting to try the patience a little bit. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, dear. I mean, uh, yeah, sadly, so many of the guest cast are no longer with us. I mean, it's only Annette Willett and John Abbott out of the guest cast. You know, I don't want to tempt fate, but... Um, of course, along with Tom and Louise, you know, they're the only ones I left alive. I mean, I, I really hope for the Blu-ray if I actually managed to get Tom Baker to, you know, do a commentary for this one. Because he's done a couple of new ones for, uh, like, I think he did one for City of Death, Destiny of the Daleks, Face of Evil, Talons of Wenchine. I think he did one for The Leisure Hive as well. So it would be great if he could actually, if he uh, did record a commentary for this one. Because it'd be quite interesting to uh, to hear his side of the story about you know his experience on the Edinburgh shoe, um, you know his reasons for you know for not enjoying the shoe, you know. So, um, but it never really comes through. I mean, you know, I, I suppose yeah, I suppose it does to a degree. You know that kind of moodiness, but moments like there, you know. When he says, come on, Savage, it's, it's more kind of playful and funny rather than, you know, sort of out, outright malicious, you know, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Doctor and Leela, it's a funny one. I mean, they're, they're not, you know, they're not kind of like best friends like um, Doctor and Sarah Jane were. But it's nowhere near as bad as, say, you know, Doctor Number Six and Perry in the earlier adventures when he just gets at her and, you know, sort of, um, um, you know, gaslighting and you know, sort of this passive-aggressive, you know, what some might even call bullying, I suppose. You know, there's, there's none of that, really. No incidental music, apart from the reprise, no incidental music for, you know, a, a good um, seven minutes, really. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know whether that was a budgetary thing or, or not. I don't, I don't know. 
yeah, Paddy Russell of course directed this. Um, yeah, the, the last commentary I did was uh, was an episode of Three Two One, and she actually went on to uh, direct that. So she had quite a long, varied career. Um, I think she was um, a protege of um, Rudolf Cartier. I think. I think I think that's his name anyway. Um, she worked on things like the uh, was it the Quasimass experiment? I think she worked on. So she had quite a rich career. She was, you know, quite a veteran by, uh, by the time she came to do this one in uh, 1977. But uh, it, it would be a, her swan song. You know, I think maybe, I, I don't know whether the experience of this put her off, but, um, which is a shame because I, I think she directs it incredibly well. Um, I mean, just like the other two, the ones that I've seen, I mean, I can't comment on the, the massacre. I, I suspect it, it'd be actually very good if the missing episodes turn up. But she she really adds a lot of kind of moody moody scenes to this one, and also Invasion of the Dinosaurs, which which I think is massively underrated, and of course Pyramids of Mars, which is you know directed to perfection, and I think this one's directed to perfection as well. And come to think of it, Dinosaurs is apart from the uh, the dinosaurs, so maybe not quite perfection, but never mind. Oh, here we go, Palmerdale's um, off on the uh, the the money trail again. He's uh, He's now trying to bribe poor old Vince with a, you know, a handful of notes. Oh, skin cells listening in. Good hiding place. Good place to play hide and seek, actually, on, the, on a lighthouse. I mean, 50 quid these days, that would seem like chicken food. But um, at the dawn of the, uh, you know, 100 quid even, you know, it seem like chicken food. But... You know, the turn of the century, that's a heck of a lot of money. Again, I, I, I don't know what the inflation is, but um, I suspect it's uh, considerably more than that, you know, which is why Vince looks so, uh, so shot. Wouldn't it be great to, uh, you know, just have, oh, I just carry, you know, lots of money on me, you know, God, I'd love to have that in my wallet, but uh, never mind. Nothing's wrong, he says, you know, just like ducking out, out of sight, you know, it's like, um, yeah, of course nothing's wrong, you know. But it's really ramping up now, you know, the kind of like the claustrophobia and the interplay between the characters and uh, this kind of feeling of doom is really, really creeping in now. just has no sense of humour whatsoever you know the, the way she says she says keep the boy pressure up or whatever whatever it was she said and then Harker corrects her and she says that is what I said you know she's just got no sense of humour or you know awareness at all it's, it's just wonderful real, real inspired stuff yeah of course you know the, doc, the doctor is being a lot nicer to Vince than uh you know, the uh, um, Palmerdale and, uh, and his chums. Uh, talking of Palmerdale, I think I think he's about to get bumped off now. There's a great big boiled sweet lurking under the, the lighthouse gantry. Oh. I think something's going to happen. Yeah, this was, uh, it was shot on video disc, wasn't it? Because they play it in reverse, because... Um, they start off with a tentacle wrapped around 
uh, Sean Caffrey's neck and then they pull it off um, and then they reverse it to give the impression that, you know, he's just been attacked by a straight tentacle with some uh, great video effects playing around. I suppose the, the method of death is kind of like a very quick Dalek extermination, very kind of quick flashing sort of negative lights which is silhouetted over the, the victim's head. And I'm just going to have a swig of coffee. Ah, thank you. That was nice. I make a pretty good coffee, even though I do say so myself. Yeah, look at the attention to detail again, going back to um, all those jars in the back. I mean, they've got everything. They've got what looks like breakfast cereal, grains, prunes, dried fruits, everything. You know, Southwester hanging on the wall. Uh, yeah, I'm not really quite sure what the relationship is between um, Palmerdale and Adelaide. I mean, I suspect it could be uh, something a bit more. If it was, you know, sort of made in the uh, the modern series, I think I think a lot would be made of it. You know, they go on about how, um, you know, Adelaide is Palmerdale's bit on the side or whatever. You know, they uh, go to town. I think old one, <laughs> old one. <laughs> Yeah, this, this is quite a video effects heavy um, episode, actually. I think it's A.J. Mitchell, uh, one, one of the unsung heroes of Doctor Who, actually. He, he did some marvellous uh, video effects work in the 70s. Uh, not, not just on this, but on Blake 7 as well. Great video effects work, which really pays dividends in, you know, this story. And uh, and also, you know, stuff like The Robots of Death, that's, that's got some great video effects work. Terror of the Zygons. Uh, Planet of the Evil, even even minor stories like the Android Invasion, uh, that's that's got some great video effects stuff in this. But uh, you you don't get that anymore, which is a great shame. I think you had to use your information, you, your um, you kind of had to use your whatever resources were available at your disposal. And the doctor was just um, getting off on that train for um, the doctor has just yelled at Adelaide to get back to the crew room. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't catch him doing that with, say, Mueller from the Pirate Planet or Tika in the Horns of Nymon. It's a Doctor who's very, very much on the side of the oppressed and the, you know, the underdog. Really, he's he's not got time for you know, sort of pushy snobs like Adelaide, you know. Yeah, this is a bit of a. A bit, I suppose it's a little bit in the dip of quality of direction because it's not really quite clear what Vince is looking at. Um, the, implica the implication in the book is that Vince burns the money because he's worried that people would think that he pushed Palmerdale over the edge of the, the lighthouse, the lighthouse gantry, uh, and killed him and then stole his money. So um, that's why he's burning it. You know, he'd rather have... Uh, no money at all, rather than uh, a long spell in jail. But it's not; it doesn't really come through quite so much in the, uh, the TV version. It's not really quite clear what he's uh, what he's looking at. Um, I, d I don't know. I suppose it probably would have been a bit too expensive, just because Sean Caffrey doesn't appear in the evening stuff. So it probably would have been too much money to actually hire him. And 
have you know do a cutaway shot of Palmerdale's body on the on the rocks at Ealing. I mean, like, like Skinsale said, the Doctor really does an, an amazing air of authority. He he just has that authority without needing to do silly voices or squeal or shout and rant or you know whatever. Not naming any uh, names, but I'm sure you can work out who. I mean, it's pitch perfect. It's a, it's just a, a super performance. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I suppose the seventies really are the the golden age of Doctor Who. I mean, you've got two classic Doctors, way too many com iconic. Com oh, that word again. Way too many classic companions. You know, you've got Leela, Sarah Jane Romano, Joe Grant. You know, Unit Family, Lee Shaw, of course. You know, and yeah, she's great as well. Uh-oh, I think we're about to get to the uh, slap. Close your ears, folks. <laughs> I suspect many viewers would have uh, applauded that um, at that point. <laughs> God, don't listen to that one on headphones. I've, I've tried it before. I think um, I went deaf for about a week after that. Little bit more music news to use now. This creepy kind of like Ruben theme is da, 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 da. Sorry for the bad singing, but you, you get my drift. Yeah, Dudley was always good at Dudley Simpson was always good at doing that. You know, he kind of introduced kind of like specific themes for you know people or monsters or places or times where he, he was good at that but you know not too not too overbearing unlike some there we go sorry yeah it's an interesting um interesting approach because you know and it shows how much leaders kind of progressed because she's gone from you know sort of believing in magic like in the early stories like you know even in the robots of death when she's playing with the yo-yo she thinks that's all to do with magic and she has to keep you know the yo-yo going up and down because of the magic but now by this point with her travels she's um realized that things are the scientific explanation and it's better to believe in science obviously tom's had his shredded wheat that day i mean I mean, Palmer, I mean, Sean Caffey looks like he's about six foot tall or whatever. So, um, and Tom's just carrying him over his shoulders like it's, uh, like, like he's lightweight, you know? <laughs> oh, God, here we go. More screaming from Adelaide. I like all these histrionics, sir. <laughs> Yeah, skin cells hair is uh, again is way too long for the period. I mean, it's nearly shoulder length really, and it's covering his ears. And uh, I'm not really sure blokes had that long hair back then. But there you go. Telegraph, <clears throat> uh, and again, you know, the story's moving up to another level because now they're they have no way of communicating with the mainland. You know, as the doctor says here. <coughs> Excuse me. They are literally on their own. And of course, we're about to see the fallout from that with um, 
Uh, Harker is about to be bumped off. Tom really underplays that well. You know, it's almost a murmur, you know, kind of almost as if he's in denial. It's a shame that poor old Harker gets bumped off at this point. He's, you know, nice performance from Rio Fanning here. Very, very good. Yeah, here we go, that green. Oh, dear. Oh, that's freaky, isn't it? <laughs> no scream, but uh, by the sound of the um, siren not sounding, uh, I think it's all too clear what's happened to uh, poor old Harker. Yeah, the claustrophobia is really, really setting in now, isn't it? Wonderful. <clears throat> the Doctor getting even more... It's, it's quite rare to see the fourth Doctor, you know, sort of look, um, you know, quite, you know, kind of, you know, like things are spiralling out of, out of his control because normally he is, uh, you know, he's, he's quite a dominant character. But, you know, like in this one in Pyramids of Mars, you know, um, things are just spiralling way too much out of control. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite a refreshing contrast. I suppose you could say Legopolis to an extent. <clears throat> oh, describing Wooten there. Mm, you might know it better than you think. I'm amazed the Doctor hasn't got like a, you know, an A to Z of aliens that he can look up. You know, that he can work out from, you know, what the alien's done, like shape-shifting, but I suppose he does which he calls the Shemelian Factor. Yeah, poor old Harker. <clears throat> and of course, Adelaide has no choice but to follow the others, but because she doesn't want to be on her own. That's a great death stare. That's quite, quite grim, quite horrible. <laughs> God, his, yeah, his, his eyes are just remaining, you know, this awful glassy stare. I mean, there's quite a few like that in uh, this one of Doctor Who. You know, you've got um, Collins. Collins and Pyramids of Mars is a classic one. Angus and Terror of the Zygons. Yeah, something to be said for a real kind of, you know, sort of glassy death stare. <clears throat> you know, the eyeballs practically kind of lolling back into the, into the skull. Horrible. Yeah, very atypical for um, a Graham Williams adventure, you know, to have so much grisly death in one story. But, um, you know, maybe that's why I like it, you know, because I, I, I'll, I'll talk about it more in the, in the next, um, next part. You know, why the, you know, why Moffat's Everybody Lives philosophy is just so misguided. And, of course, they've, uh, they've stumbled upon the real Ruben. And I, we're going to get into the, uh, the best cliffhanger of the lot, you know. It's uh, on a grim realisation rather than, a, you know, sort of a doctrine. Leela in, you know, sort of stereotypical peril. What is the Shemelian factor? Oh, dear. Oh, it's poo your pants time, folks. I think things are going to get a lot more dramatic in the next uh, final instalment of Horror Fang. Look. Ah, sorry. sorry. Just drink of the last of my coffee. Anyway, um... I'm running out of things. I, I can't think of anything to criticise about this story, but um, it is, like I say, it's one of my favourites, easily a top ten. 
which I'm actually doing on Twitter at the moment, running through the uh, my uh, my own 300, counting down from 300 to uh, number one. This would figure very highly. Anyway, thank you for joining me. Uh, hope to be with you again soon for part four of Horror Fang Rock. But in the meantime, it's goodbye for now. Bye-bye.